Welcome to The Ziegler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. Uh, to a degree, the topic I bring you today may vie for the most important of all. Can you really change the way you see yourself? I mean, in all truth, we spent a lot of the show expounding on how very hard that truly is, which is why very few people ever do it. And so the question is, can you? Well, my guest is Rock Thomas. He has a goal cast video titled How to Change the Way You See Yourself that has over 100 million views. Yes, 100 million. He, the guy had a hard upbringing. It's not a perfect and pretty story, but from it, he's truly done the Phoenix thing, rising from the ashes, the glory. But why do you care? I mean, part of the point here is the showcase that if he can do it, so can you, though there's a rub. If your story's not that hard, not that tragic, and more so if you were fairly privileged like me, you're arguably at a deficit. There's a chance you'll never want something bad enough to do what it takes, which is just the basic ingredients of success. No secrets or formulas, the hard work, perseverance, faith, resilience, all that good stuff. I mean, this is what rock has devoted himself to helping you with. Uh, so he wrote a book though, called the power of your identity, which you can get at his website for free RockThomas.com. But it goes deep into the power of what we believe about ourselves. We talk specifically in the show about belief. We generally believe things about ourselves because we have some real evidence, right? So I don't think it's so easy just to say, quit believing about that, deny that and go a different direction. But the question then is, is that it end of story? Or can we begin to believe things about ourselves, do new things and achieve a different reality, actually be different? Of great interest to me, Rock states that changing our identity and reality just takes living consistently 4% outside of our comfort zone. I have not heard that before. I mean, I think we tend to believe we've got to do a 180, right? And live totally different, be a new person, which we just don't inherently believe. But he's saying you don't have to. It's not that radical. A core perspective Rock shares is this. The words that follow I am will follow you. They become your reality. Think about it. What do you say after I am blank? Folks, it's a significant show. Get ready for a ride here. And again, you can get Rock's book, The Power of Your Identity, free and take his life assessment, which I did, at rockthomas.com. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon. Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous. And I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. Okay, friends, here I bring you Rock Thomas and the subject of can you really change the way you see yourself? Well, Rock, there is no end of... Uh 
information about you and your message and what you do online. But as many people, I assume, are, I was pretty enamored with your Goalcast video. I looked yesterday, and as I looked at it, it had 4,122,264,000 views. Uh, 9,761 comments. Obviously that thing has resonated with a lot of people. And so I'm going to dive in there and really look at this aspect of belief, which I know is near and dear to your heart. So, uh, you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. And just statistically for the numbers, there's a few versions of them out there. We're close to a hundred million views now. So it just depends on which one you drop on in, in, in uh, YouTube. Okay, well, I was already impressed. Now we're all you're 100 million. That, that, seriously, that you know, obviously that is significant. And as we are in this industry, so many messages out there. It's it's amazing to see one that hits a nerve right there. So I want to dig in there. I mean, so this is a true story, Rock. Uh, this weekend, so not a couple of days ago, I wrote a letter to some of my older kids. I've got a bunch of kids, but my older ones who are all in a similar time of life and talk to them about something I believe in. And that's that I, my, my, my wife and I, their mom and I have brainwashed them. Obviously we've done a great job, hopefully at doing it intentionally at making it good and valuable and worthy brainwashing, but it can't all be right and true and healthy and best for all of them. And so they're kind of the coming of age that they are at right now. They need to take a personal audit, realize where they've been left lacking by us and even where I've damaged and misled them according to who they are. So I was hit with that as I watched your initial story and the foundation of your own uh, brainwashing and upbringing and really the influence of your dad. So taking that concept, I want you to speak to the value that you give your audience, the people that you're reaching, the hundred million who have downloaded your video, the, the value that you put on the reality of their initial programming, their upbringing and where that, how they have to deal with that. Yeah, great, great context. I mean, garbage in, garbage out. Unfortunately, us as parents and our parents were never given a manual on how to program their children's brain. So they did the best of their ability with what they knew, what they learned. And my parents taught me how to work hard and that you had to survive on your own. There was not enough food. Money doesn't grow on trees. That You know, like my generation, you didn't hear I love you or I'm proud of you. You heard most of the time you have to do better. You're not good enough. There's not enough to go around. So as your brain starts to absorb that information, it creates that reality in the world. I say to people, if I grew up in China, I'd probably eat more rice than I do today. But the fact of the matter is I grew up with, you know, cereal and toast. So. When I looked at my transformation, I started to get introduced to new programmers, Tony Robbins, Zig Ziglar, Wayne Dyer, Deepak Chopra, and they started to give me new choices, and new perspectives. And the thing that hit me the most was the power of your identity, this way that you see yourself. When I was young, my brother called me pizza face because I had so much acne. I went around for two decades looking in the mirror every single day I got up thinking I was ugly. And then a new programmer came along and taught me that I could change that label. The fact that I repeated it to myself over and over again, just ingrained it. 
It doesn't matter if somebody says you're lazy, you're too short, you're ugly, you're stupid, you're funny, you're beautiful. You link to that. But if you're the internal programmer by saying it over and over and over and over again, you solidify and galvanize that belief within your system. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I want to dig in right on what you talked about on the programming. But I think from, again, the power of your personal story, we hear a lot of verbiage to this of, Hey, this is where you came from, you know, but you can change that. But I continue to see in my own life, in my kids' lives now, as I'm influencing them and seeing the fruition of that, I've got kids from ages six to 23. And now I get to see how good of a job or not I did and get a better chance with the younger ones. But when I hear, see people and, and see their own trajectory, I'm just, I, I guess I'm pretty floored by the power of that initial programming. And in your Goalcast video, you talk about how that was a significant foundation where you started. And I, I think I want you to speak to people to give them a little bit of understanding on that is a big deal. I mean, overcoming that it is huge. And I just don't feel like people are actually realizing that, or maybe they're, they're left a little bit out in the cold of they hear it and they nod to it, but it, it, to, to let go of that initial programming, uh, and, and really free yourself from it is monumental. You did it. A hundred million people have watched that story. Are they getting the, I guess the weight of it, the weight of what it is to really turn from that initial programming. You did it. That's not the norm. No. And I think that you talked about brainwashing really what we can all do is brainwash ourselves and reprogram ourselves. So I went from pizza face and I had a mentor said, is that serving you? A belief is a feeling of certainty. It's not true or false or right or wrong. It's just a feeling of certainty. So if you feel that you're, you know, bad with spelling or you're a disorganized person, then it may not be true, but there was evidence at the time and you start to take it on and you started to look for evidence, more evidence to prove your point. And that is the power of your identity, this desire to remain consistent with how we describe ourselves. So I was describing myself as an ugly kid for 20 years. That's what I thought I was. A new programmer showed up and said, no, you can change that. That's not really true. So I was open and I changed it by using a role model, Mm -hmm. Clint Eastwood. Mm -hmm. Clint Eastwood was a guy who I felt I could associate with, a rugged, tough guy, which I felt I was kind of. I wasn't Tom Cruise, babyface, cute. So I took on that label and my programmer said, how would you describe Clint Eastwood? And I said, ruggedly handsome. And I kind of smiled when I said it. And he goes, say that again. So I said it again and I lit up. And he says, okay, so now that becomes your new identity. I want you to now pour into that. So I remember leaving that appointment, driving in the car, and I was just going, I'm ruggedly handsome, I'm ruggedly handsome, I'm ruggedly handsome. I said it over and over and over again, and I was brainwashing myself with this new label, this new identity, this new belief. And I began to transform my confidence and the way I showed up, and my shoulders went back a little bit, and I felt better. And then eventually I started to use that programming for other areas of my life. My first year as a real estate agent, I struggled because my old identity was, you know, I worked on a farm as a contractor and a carpenter. Who am I to be a salesperson? 
So I did poorly, but then I started to change the programming from working hard to working smart, from being a bad salesperson to being the number one. And as I did that, my brain searched again for evidence, searched for learning, searched for places to be open. And I became the number one real estate salesperson in my office, sold 100 homes a year, bought the company, and went on to sell a billion dollars a year. The little farm boy, pizza face, became one of the best realtors on planet Earth. Anybody can do it if they're willing to put in the effort to, I'm going to use your words, wash their own brain. Yeah. Okay. That's and- really been the, the cornerstone of my success. Choose a new thing. Like I'm learning how to play the piano right now. I'm 56 years old and my brain is going, well, maybe this may take you forever, but I understand the four stages of learning and I know and that I'm consciously incompetent right now, but that's the zone of transformation. If you increase your energy. So I'm increasing my energy. I'm putting time on task. I understand the 10,000 hours. And I know that if I do the drills, my neurology will start to pick up the patterns and eventually I'll get great at it as long as I'm not willing to quit. And that's how progress happens. Well, and that's the crux of, of what we're going to talk about here in just a minute. I will have you give you testimony here. My dad is over 70, just bought a keyboard. He says he's going to learn. Never touch the there musical instrument. So there, there you go. Well, you know, just coming again from that story, and I want to flesh a couple things out there as we get into how to actually change our, uh, our identity. But you are, without minimizing... Uh, you're not alone in having a hard upbringing and an oppressive authority in your life. You're not alone in taking that oppression, busting your butt to prove, you know, a, a different uh, or just to prove yourself. And I got to assume that you're not even alone in at the very end deathbed being denied. Uh, that is that is harsh. But if I take 100 people, if we take 100 people with a, a similar story, uh, unfortunately, few, as you know, recover to become positive, healthy, successful people as you have and are now are leading other people too. What have you experienced rock in yourself and others that is different between those who do and those who don't, those who, who would have that arena and they are overcome by it, which we know is the norm and those who overcome. And, I, and to some degree, it may, you know, maybe an unfair question. What is that magic sauce that makes one person turn a different way? But just as you've seen it, are there some telltale signs to go, Ooh, I have hope in this one, one or, or, ah, oh, man, that one's going to, I, I I'm struggling with hope because of these telltale signs. That might be the million dollar question. And I answer it this way in saying is that And it's going to sound like nothing for some people, but if you were to never quit, then you can never fail because failure to me is just quitting. You know, you have children. I have children. Did you ever say to yourself, you know, I don't really feel like picking up the kids from school today. I'll get them tomorrow. Hmm. Thought about it, but no, not, not, not actually. Exactly. (laughs) But you were committed to being a great parent. So you made it happen. You left the business appointment. You got up off of the couch. You were tired. You have a headache. You still made it happen. Is because to you, you valued that result. And you were able to explain to your own brain that the consequences of not doing that would be massive pain. So I think I have learned that quitting equals massive pain. And as long as I never quit, I can always find a way. Sylvester Stallone said in the Rocky movie, it's not how hard you can punch. It's how hard you can be punched and get back up. I pride myself 
on being able to endure, to be resilient, and to keep at it. Because if I can do that, I defy the odds, and I now have been given the opportunity to be my own hero. Mm -hmm. Heroes weren't born out of an easy environment. If you, if you know, if your parents did your homework and they drove you to school and dropped you off and made you lunch and, and fought your battles at school for you, no hero is created. So I think it's the meaning that people give things, Kevin, is people are hoping things get easier instead of looking at what is and saying, how do I utilize what's around me to be my own hero? And I try to be my own hero every day. The quote that you gave uh, reminded me of one that's always stuck in my head, Rock. I don't think I've ever voiced it uh, or even looked at, you know, really looked at it, but there's an old movie called Lawless. It has Tom Hardy, which I think most people know him as an actor now, but this is one of his old movies, and he made the statement in there, it's not the violence in a man uh, that, that dictates uh, what will happen, but how far he's willing to go. And it reminds me of you saying that quitting equals massive pain. All right, back to you though. Life went on from this point, from this, uh, from this hard experience with your dad. You had a family then. You found work. You're making a good living. Then your dad gets cancer. Uh, you want to try and make a difference. Ultimately, he still denies you his love and approval. And you said that's when you really hit rock bottom, or maybe you were already there. Now you you went even further than you thought you could go. You had nothing. You moved in with your mom at age 30. You started pursuing real estate, found that mentor, which you've mentioned a couple times already. You found that mentor and experienced for the first time, you know, someone to encourage you who, who believed in you, I think is what you said. Was that really, and I'm, I'm ultimately curious, was that really, do you look at that and go, man, that was the catalyst for my transformation. That's really the trigger without that, who knows what would have happened, but it was that somebody who believed in you. Is that really it? Beyond a shadow of doubt, that was a huge turning point, maybe one of the biggest turning points in my life. Hmm. So I believe that a mentor will show up in your life when you're ready. And, you know, as we saw, the, the teacher will be when the student is ready. But this is a gentleman who I admired and respected. He wore often a three-piece suit. He was physically well-presented, clean-shaven, nice hair, always looked sharp and on. His family worked in the business. His kids worked in the business. They, they, they threw barbecues at their house to support the salespeople. They were all in. They were the family that I dreamt that I wanted to create and or wished my family was, which they weren't. The difference being simply is Wayne looked at me and he said to me what I wished my father said to me. He said, I see you and I see your potential and I'm going to guide you and help you. And every time I fell down and I was like, oh, my God, this is terrible. He would go, no, that's normal. It's normal. I've, I've run this marathon you're running many times. When you get to this mile, it's going to be hard. When you get to that hill, it's going to be painful. When you get to this rainy place, you're going to feel like quitting. But just keep on going. Keep on going. So I blindly listened to what he had to say. And I guess, Kevin, you know, for me, I still crave to hear the words, I'm proud of you. I was the youngest of seven kids. I wanted to be seen. And I think some people give up on that. It was fight or flight. And I was blessed with a lot of fight. I just kept on going, okay, I'm over here. Somehow you're going to see me. You know, ironically, my brother used to beat me up. And on the farm, I, had, I started to run away from him to avoid the beatings. 
and I became incredibly good at running that I ended up being one of the best football players at our high school because I had every day unsolicited practice at running away in a field around cow pastures and horses and through fences and up and down and around a pool and the threat of being thrown into ice cold water or smashed in the face or locked in the barn and humiliated was so intense that my body found new possibilities. So in life, if you do what is difficult, life will be easy. If you do what is easy, life will be difficult. I was blessed with a lot of difficulty as a child. And most people are trying to give their children an easy life. And this, I think, is unfortunate. I gave my kids tough love, and they're all strong and successful today because of it. Was it easy on me to sometimes get them to go back out and do their chores? No. Was it easy on me to get them up early and get them to work out and, and you know do things like, no. But I knew the rewards. And today they come to me and they're like, Dad, thanks for teaching us the speed type. All the exercises, blindfolding and different things. Uh, would we rather sit on the couch and watch a movie, all of us? Probably. But today, my, my kids type 90 words a minute, and they have an edge and advantage over other people. They read books instead of watching TV. They work out regularly and have energy as a health, as an edge. So I just think that these are some of the fundamental things that build up your character, build up who you are. And most people are not exposed to them because people are trying to live an easy life. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. Most of today, you will be indoors, likely your home or your office. I am as well. Even with my treks out into the woods, I spend a lot of time inside. And we're going to think about 20,000 breaths. According to the EPA, the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air, sometimes up to 100 times more polluted. At my studio, we have heat being forced through old ducts. I walk on carpet full of years of junk. No idea what's floating in the air that I'm taking constant gulps of. The solution is an air purifier, and Air Doctor is just the best. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold, bacteria, viruses. They do it so your lungs don't have to. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code KEVIN, and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get this special offer, go to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com Use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo code Kevin. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers 
into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. Okay, I want to talk, Rock, about what you said on that mentor. Here you are at rock bottom. And to give that much power to that catalyst of a mentor is... It's awesome, but I'm thinking about the people who are out there hearing this right now saying, I've done that. I, I came from something hard and I've been busting my butt and I'm struggling and I don't have that mentor and I've been ready for a while. And I know you can feel the pain of that. I know you probably deal with it, but to that person out there who's saying, I, I would give anything for that one person and they don't have it yet. What would you say to them? Well, what I know is there were many mentors that came along before that I wasn't, I wasn't paying attention to. I wasn't looking at it. Most people, what they do is they become secret agents of life. And there are mentors all over the place, but they don't ask. They're afraid that they're not enough. They're afraid they won't be able to step up on the instructions or encouragement of the mentor. So they just pretend that they're not interested or they don't engage. For me... I had hit double rock bottom and I was so desperate living on my mom's couch, no money, working at a senior citizen home, trying to put gas in my car. I was so desperate that there was nowhere else for me to go. I think some people don't get to that place. We live in a world today where you can have a car, $300 a month. You have electricity, electric windows, you got air conditioning, you got a really pretty good car and you can be at home with Netflix for 10 bucks a month. And eat a bag of chips, you don't really have to do much to be comfortable. Mm -hmm. So I, unfortunately, the media and industry knows this. So they sell people, you know, a beer, bag of chips and Netflix. So, so many people are not even looking for a mentor. They've been sold this package of comfort. Now, if you are looking for something and you want something more, then you got to show up at events, you got to go to seminars, you got to go hang out where people are getting results and people are striving for more. And then do what I did, which is just walk up to people and say, hey, man, you seem like a really cool dude. Can I hang out with you? And I've said that to a bunch of people and some of them say yes and some of them say no. And when they say no, then I say, well, how much do I have to pay you to hang out with you? And then I usually get a number mm -hmm. and then I pay him like Tony Robbins, $100,000 uh, to get coached by him. So I hung out with him at about 19 events in 19 years. I had one-on-one -on -one time with him. I worked out with him in his gym in Fiji and been to Italy with him on a boat, et cetera. And now I've done 74 events for him and a trainer for him and it's impacted my life but I had to put in my time, energy, effort, and money to create that relationship. And then there's other people that I haven't had to do that. So find your mentor, somebody you love and respect, and then ask how you can add value in their life. I mentor a lot of people that do little things for me. They'll pick up my dry cleaning, they'll grab me a coffee, they'll 
prepare things and they get to hang around and soak up my wisdom and it's win-win. Yeah. So there's different ways to do it. Thank you for that. All right. We are, we've been talking for 23 minutes and I, I'm, I'm ready to hit the, I'm ready to hit the crucible here. And you said, and I, I had some thoughts written out, but you said during this time, you talked about, we go back to that personal identity. And you said, we tend to look at each at ourselves with the evidence that we have at that time of who we are. And then you made another statement. that was really interesting to me. We have a desire. I think this is great. We have a desire to remain consistent with who we are. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Okay. So with that, taking that issue, uh, this big issue at hand here, you claim, man, I agree with you, but your claim of we can reprogram our brains, uh, that it's like software. Okay. Easy to nod to, we, we got, you know, 50, 60,000 people are going to hear this on the podcast and they're going to nod and say, yeah, but, but I want to stick right here. Uh, you said you thought you were stuck the way you are, thought your whole, you would be your whole life. And I think that we all culturally, maybe as humans really do believe that we are who we are. Um, we view ourselves as we have been, how we are what those who are closest to us testify that we are like you with pizza face and, and those types of things. And taking a message that says, Hey, you could just reprogram yourselves. It's like telling a turtle, or we may feel like that, like telling a turtle, it can be an Eagle and people, I don't think they're really believing that sounds great for a kid's story, but not real life. There's some literalness and reality. We believe to our being, maybe we can learn some new things, but uh, you know, it's like putting, I thought about, you know, we could repaint and put accessories on a car, but it's still the same basic car that it is. And yet you're saying, no, we don't have to accept that. And I'm hitting that as a crucible rock to say, I am in my own journey and, and speaking with so many people in personal development today, right here. As we talk, I am concerned about the aspect of believe we can say these things. People can nod to them, but at the core, when they walk away and go into their life, do they really believe they can be something different? And I'm afraid the answer is by far and large, no, they don't. And so when you're talking, that's why I want to come back to this, where I start off with this term belief, you're out there helping people really change that core belief. And again, just like denying the, the programming of our, of our childhood, that's, that is huge. That is huge. And yet you see it happen. Well, there's, there's science to prove it, that it works. In the book, The Rise of Superman, they talk about how when these people do these base jumping in extreme sports, they love it because they call them adrenaline junkies because new chemicals are formed, hormones are formed in the body to help the body and mind survive this potential death. Okay. So we've all had that where... You're driving along, somebody comes out of a blind spot, you slam on your brakes and bam, your whole body gets shot with electricity. You feel fully alive, you're wide awake and you're just like, whoa, your body manufactured this to protect you. Yeah. Norepinephrine, anandamide, all these chemicals are available only when dire circumstances are presented. Now, when people learn, it's been proven that 4% outside your comfort zone allows you the best progress to learn. So not way out when you're running away from a bear, you're not going to remember how you ran because you're in survival mode. You just went ran. But if we put people in a consistent basis where they can expand who they are, change the way they see themselves, act as if there's somebody else, the mm -hmm. same way we kids, you know, Michael Jordan coming down, we embody that persona. And we do it on a consistent basis, we now start to shift the way we see ourselves. 
and we get new results and we start to accumulate those from, say, selling one home in your first year to 32 to 45 to 65 to 99. As you look back in the rearview mirror, you go, I'm in a different place. I'm a different person. I would say one of the keys, though, is in the practice and habits. In my book, I talk about tell me what you do before 8 a.m. in the morning and after 8 a.m. at night, and I can predict your financial future for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. I can also predict your level of happiness and the way you're going to evolve. So every evening, probably five out of seven days, I journal on my evolution. What did I learn today? Who am I becoming? What were my fears? What did I embody? So did I, so I usually get up in the morning, I do 57 push-ups. I'm 56 years old. So as I do that year after year after year, it started when I was around 51, my brain keeps on saying what? As you get older, you get stronger. So I'm selling myself on things that support me stepping up versus falling back. What does society tell you? When you get to a certain age, you just just can't do things anymore. Mm -hmm. So if you buy into the common thought processes that are available to everybody, you'll be like everybody else. So I'm a little bit of a rebel. When the masses are going one way, I go in the other way. When people tell you it can't be done, I try to defy and make it happen. So programming your brain is an ongoing thing. There's nuances to it, and that's why people should go to events, seminars, read books, listen to podcasts, get coaches, be part of a mastermind group, and put themselves into an ecosystem where that ecosystem keeps on showing them that uh, grabbing life big is possible. And that's what I've created in my environment because selfishly, I don't want to be around people that are consistently at a low vibration because it will affect me. Eventually, you become your environment. Did I get you right in that you said 4% outside your comfort zone? Is that the right? That's a small right. percentage. That, that does not sound undoable by anyone. 4% no. outside your comfort zone. Uh, for somebody to look at their current life, and as you said, we're all culturally just uh, steered towards comfort, the bag of chips, the beer, and the, and the Netflix. And you're saying that a key that you see is if you will just simply day to day, week to week, remain, have 4% of your time outside your comfort zone, exposed to something new, knocking on a new mentor, whatever that you see, there's a, a secret sauce, a magic sauce. 4% does not sound like that big a deal. Obviously not the norm, but that is who can't embrace that. Yeah. And so I'll give you an example. I'm an author of three books. However, I grew up and I was labeled as dyslexic. And still today, I mix up letters and numbers. Uh, when somebody gives me a phone number, I'll switch them. The way my brain is wired. So I had a lot of doubt around being an author. I was never very good in school. I never got feedback going, you're really intelligent. My brothers and sisters told me, you can't speak properly. You can't string words together. Shut up. Don't even bother talking. When I'd speak once in a while, I'd mix them up because I was nervous because I got that evidence. And then I got even worse. So I stopped speaking at all. So I had very little practice in communicating, which made it worse. We grew up on a farm with no TV. I went to school and everybody was talking about happy days and the shows on TV. So I felt left out. So I spoke less and I became introverted and I became a bit of a lone dog. This is not necessarily the makeup for somebody to go, you should be an author, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. However, I wrote a page a day for two years. Anybody could write a page a day for two years. 
And then I hired somebody to help me, you know, structure it. Mm-hmm. And then I got a ghostwriter to help me clean it up. And then I got a publicist. And then I looked for quotes all over to put into the book. It took me two years to do it. But I wrote my first book, The Power of Your Identity. And then I wrote a second book and a third book. The first one was the hardest. The other one's a lot easier. So I think everybody should write a book, could write a book. And could you do it? Like if if you look at the end product, you might be overwhelmed. But could you write one page? Could you think of a title? Could you think of one quote that's your favorite quote? Like my next book is going to be called Say Yes and Figure It Out Later. Beautiful. Because so many people don't say yes to their dreams. They don't say yes to little things. They don't say yes to asking a question in class. My kids, I always tell them when you go to school, first day of the year, you have a new teacher, and they ask the question in the first first class, go, oh, 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 yeah, yeah, and go crazy, yeah. And the teacher will go, okay, okay, John, John, uh, what is it? And you say the answer. Half an hour later, she asks another question. You do the same thing. Oh, oh, and you jump out of your seat. You do this for the first day. What's the teacher going to do? Johnny, I know. Give a chance to the other kids. You're so enthusiastic. I get that you want to learn so much. What's happening? You've created an environment where everybody in that room looks at you as an enthusiastic student. You have now just created your own identity for the rest of the year. Bam! On day one, because you chose to spend some energy. So now people are going to like, well, if nobody knows the answer, well, John, hey, John, what is it? Everybody looks to you. You become a leader. You become a force for good. You're not the person that the student, that the teacher goes, Johnny never takes any action. He doesn't get involved. He doesn't participation. You're going to get full score. You get the embarrassment and the shame and the and the fear off of your back because you've now stood up and everybody knows who you are. One little activity, ten seconds of courage uh-huh. changes your entire year. As a student. And that's what I'm talking about right there. Little things like that you can give people 4% outside your comfort zone that over time creates a massive different destiny. Yeah. For those of you who are struggling with the beer and the chips and the Netflix, as you said, make your Netflix next time. I'm going off the title of your new book. Yes, man is a movie by Jim Carrey. I own it. I love it. And you just gave the quote from uh, I bought a zoo of 10 seconds of courage. I think he says in that 10 seconds of insane courage, that's become a a little moniker in my own family. Can't wait to see that book. Now you mentioned that you, you said that the aspect of the power of identity. So as I am researching your story and your message rock, I, here's what I came, became enamored with. I never thought through it like this. So here's a first for both, or at least for me, maybe you've gotten this. So in your story, you didn't see yourself positively, uh, in a positive light, physically, literally, we're talking physical self-image, uh, mentally, you know, I'm, I, I'm sure there were things going on there. That was a, this is the part, but you started with the crucible of just how you look. You talked about pizza face and you quote, the most powerful force in the human psyche is how we describe ourselves to ourselves. Classic Zig Ziglar with his self self-talk cards, uh, of course, which folks, you can always get them at Ziglar.com slash self-talk. But you started with this phrase, I'm ruggedly handsome. I'm ruggedly handsome. So here's my questions, Rock, that I, again, I, I haven't thought through them like this before. Number one, were you already 
ruggedly handsome and you just didn't believe it. So it was just changing that because we have a lot of people saying you're, you're amazing. You just don't know it. Just change your identity. You're already there or two. And I'm giving this to you personally, but of course you can extrapolate it. We both can to everybody else who's sitting out there. Are they already that they just don't believe it? Or were you not really that? And you just changed your paradigm. Now you think you're really ruggedly handsome, whether you are or not, maybe you're not, maybe you're a toadstool, but at least you think you are. So you're better off there. That's another possibility or three, as you told yourself, and now this, and this is perfect because it goes in line somewhat with what you just, the analogy you just gave, as you started telling yourself, did you start doing different things that actually transformed yourself to some degree to become ruggedly handsome? I'll give that. To I you. think it's a combination of all of those actually. Okay. So yes, as a child, I was called bone dog pizza face. My parents fed me protein drinks because there was, I was so skinny. They were afraid that I was going to break in two. So was I ruggedly handsome from the outside? Uh, not physically. Was I an ugly child? No. I look back and my acne was not nearly as bad as I thought it was um, in, in the pictures. However, I think that we've all know somebody who's physically not that attractive, but they, they've fallen so in love with themselves that you just fall in love with them. You know, mm-hmm. uh, there's people that are like that. So I think if you don't love yourself, you're certainly not going to be very lovable. So a lot of the work I did was appreciating myself and loving my, my body, the temple of my soul, and looking at ways to take care of it. So I started to work out more. I started to have better hygiene. I started to be proud of the way I dress versus if you think your pizza face, ugly, worthless piece of crap, then you might get up and you might not do your hair. You might not shave. You might not work out. And then you do not become an embodiment of somebody who appreciates themselves. So, Kevin, I think it was the combination of all of that is I lost my hair at the age of 40. I had blonde hair. I got alopecia. I lost all my hair. I went through another transformation of I went from blonde and blue-eyed and ruggedly handsome to now bald and sexy. I gave myself a new identity as the evolution and the evidence. Remember what I said before, use what's around you. I once went to play squash in a competition. I forgot my running shoes. And I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And my brain, whenever you're committed and creative, you can achieve anything as long as you never quit. So I asked a bunch of guys if I could borrow the running shoes. They all said no. They were leaving. They did wrong size, whatever. And uh, I went to Lost and Found. I got one pink shoe. That was in the lost and found. It was a woman's shoe, crammed it on one foot, appeared in the arena with that one shoe. And the guy looked at me and says, what are you doing? I said, I forgot my shoes. This is the best I can do. Game on. I'm playing for the team. I don't want my team down. You can't play like that. And I said, why not? He goes, well, that just looks really stupid. I said, well, stupid doesn't count on the scorecard. There's no pictures on the scorecard. Let's go. And I beat him. As long as you're committing creative, as long as you're willing to look around you like MacGyver, for those people that remember that show, and use what is there, the hero's born. So maybe in some cases, I put myself in the circumstances that were easy and I made them difficult to be a hero. That's very possible. But the reality is, is I get excited about finding a way. And hopefully people can too. Stop wishing for things to be easier. Just get better. You have made the statement, the words that follow, I am follow you. That's in that Goldcast original 
video, you talk about the power. We continue to talk about the power of labels. There's nobody listening, myself included, who has not been given a label, good and bad. And I've even been given some good ones that I've become imprisoned to as well. So we're all out there. We're showing, we're all imprisoned, I would say to some degree to our labels. And yet again, back to that aspect of belief. I, and I will say rock that I have always struggled a lot with, well, you know, even Zig talks about, Hey, being positive won't let you do anything, but it'll let you do everything better than negative thinking will. So if I take that here to labels, I mean, you know, in, in saying we can throw off the labels and take on what we want, you know, obviously could, uh, you know, can everybody be an NBA superstar? Can anybody, we could argue that, but obviously it's going to be harder for some than others. I mean, we can't, you know, if we are a duck, it is going to be hard to climb trees. There are some realities. So when you say that, Hey, you can be, you know, we can't all be anything, but the scope, if we take it now and say the scope is this big, I mean, how big can it get? I don't know what the ratio is on that of what the possibilities are for us, but that is a big part of your message of saying you've got to, well, in essence, you're saying just choose and relabel yourself. Yes. Relabel yourself. Uh, the words that follow, I am follow you. Yeah. And I mean, you, you don't have to talk about climbing Mount Everest or digging wells in Africa and feeding the, you know, the hungry. I think that what I do is I try to be fundamental. So we live in a material world. Yes. You need to eat and have a roof over your head, ideally, and pay some bills and pay the electricity, et cetera. So there's a thing called money. You have a relationship with money. So why don't you get educated around that and win the money game? I have 37 streams of income. I don't have to work for the rest of my life because I chose to find mentors like Robert Kiyosaki and Warren Buffett and people that are really good with money, study what they knew, the way they programmed themselves. And I took from some of that, applied it. And now I own real estate, I have multiple businesses and I have different Airbnb and different things that are new. But because I'm a curious student, I always find the mentor, I call it Triple M, find the mentor, model them until you master it and you're good to go. There's a thing called communication. You're going to have to lead, inspire, communicate, motivate yourself and others. So Dale Carnegie, I took a bunch of Dale Carnegie courses and Toastmasters and I learned how to be a better communicator. I took many, many speaking courses. So today I'm, I'm a speaker. So those are skills I learned that enabled me to function in this world. And then finally, you have health, which is, I think, the edge is to have energy. So I studied people that had massive amounts of energy. What do they do? What do they eat? What are their routines? What are their habits? What do they believe around that? And I embodied all those things. So if you can be really good with money, you have more what? Time. And you have more time, you can work on taking care of your body because you have the time to go to the gym and go to the chiropractor and go on retreats and cleanses and things like that. And if you are really healthy and energized, you're not one of the sick. Chances are you have ch time to work on your relationships, more time to go deeper with your children, your family, your friends and help other people. So whether you believe that you can be your five foot six and you can be in the NBA has nothing to do with winning the money game, the communication game, and the health game. Those are all fundamental, in my opinion, for all of us. So why not... 
get really good at those by modeling people there. And if your dream is to make it to the NBA, then maybe you end up being the chiropractor of the NBA players at five foot six and you're in the mix, you're in the energy, you get to be on the floor and somehow vicariously you live that dream. That's what we're talking about. Don't give up on the dream. Just never quit. Find a different path that leads you to there. I had a guy I interviewed on my podcast that is the doctor for the New York Knicks, Filipino guy. And he wanted to play basketball, but Filipinos are not necessarily that tall and known for their athletic ability in that arena. So he thought, what are Filipinos really known well for? Well, many of them make very good nurses and caregivers. Hmm. So he became a caregiver and ended up getting a job with the Knicks, taking care of the players. Hmm. So never give up on your dream. Just, just work with what's available in front of you. Use your skills, your intuition, and adapt, and you can get there somehow. You, back to your father, he gave you drive. Didn't give you approval, but he gave you drive. And you talk about the perspective, uh, or you said it somewhere. If you do what is easy, life will be difficult. But if you do what is difficult, life will be easy. And you speak a lot to working hard. You did learn that. You did employ that. You did benefit uh, from that now today, and I'm sure you've seen this too. There, there's uh, maybe some, I hope some healthy debate about the term hustle, right? And the yeah. perspective of, okay, you know, the key to success is just shun everything, work 20 hours a day, don't sleep much, work the weekends, uh, whatever. And I, I think uh, there's a very well-known guy that says, Hey, if you're not working, you know, weekends, you're never going to, you're never going to make uh, any success. And of course we got great successful people saying that's stupid and yada, yada, but you know, it's a part of your story. If you did learn to work hard, I am grateful for the work ethic that I was taught and I've struggled some, uh, or not struggled. I, I care about my kids uh, and giving them, you know, good work ethic a, as well. I like an overwhelming task. It builds character. Uh, but in that, I guess I would ask you, yeah, just to comment a little bit on that, that obviously you subscribe to working hard, but we've got that word. I think a lot of people, if they're listening to podcasts, they're hearing that word hustle kind of thrown around. There's memes about it, good and bad, and a little debate on that about how you see, you know, hard work with some life balance as well. Yeah, great question. I love that question. So I have a couple of answers for you. Number one is how much of you are you bringing to an hour in your life? And for most people, unfortunately, it's not much. Studies show that an eight hour workday is really about four and a half hours of effective work. People are just mulling their way through the day. So I've learned to be incredibly productive, focused, intentional, purposeful with all parts of my life. And that makes a huge difference. I can, I sometimes believe I can do the job of three people just because I'm paying attention. I'm more aware. I had a job cleaning the lobby of McDonald's when I was a kid. Used to always be two people and a guy got sick and I was able to do the job of two people. Um, and they gave me a promotion and they set the new standard. We don't need two people because there's always a way to do things better. If you're present, invested and excited about that. So number one, how much are you bringing to your hours? If you're not efficient and productive, then yeah, you may have to work 20 hours a day to get really an effective 12 hours done. Second part is I don't believe in balance. We've talked about it for years, and here is my term that I use. I maybe heard it somewhere else or created it. I can't remember, but intentionally out of balance. 
So there's seasons in life. When you're a farmer, there's a time when you're planting and you're going crazy and you're doing all of that. In the summer, you're maintaining and in the fall, you're harvesting. In the winter, you're chill. You're looking at, you know, the new crop, cleaning your tools, et cetera. I look at my businesses as that. If I'm going to start a new business, I might be intense for three months, six months, nine months, whatever it is to get that baby off the ground. When I was in real estate, I told my family from January 2nd to April 30th, expect me to rarely be at a family function, what have you, because 60% of sales were done in four months. Low-hanging fruit. I wanted to take advantage of that. But after April 30th, I said, family comes first for eight months. If there's a birthday party, there's an outing, what have you, my clients will wait because there's only 40% of left of them in eight months, which means I can do twice as much work if I'm intentional, purposeful at that time. So I think I'm being intelligent during that period of time. And if I get the buy-in from my family, then they respect, support, and cheer me on in that way. Then you can be intentionally out of balance. Now, would I work out a little bit less during that period of time? Yes. I would be more on a maintenance program with my health mm -hmm. than come May 1st. I now ramp up, get back consistently at building muscle, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm intentionally out of balance with my health, bringing that back up. I look at my life as eight gardens and usually three of them are the ones that I'm intentionally invested in. And five of them are on a maintenance program. Hmm. And then they rotate. But what happens, I find, Kevin, is you elevate slowly and there's less and less weeds in every garden so that after three are being the headliners here and then three over here, and then you can circulate. Oh, there's a weed there. Let me grab that. Oh, I, you know, I pulled my back. I have not been paying attention. I got to go to the Cairo, do some stuff. Got to go over there. And then eventually you're in very little energy like a like a, a plane at 30,000 feet requires a lot less energy than the one that's climbing out. So for me, it's about intentionally being out of balance and deciding that you're going to consistently raise your standards as you go toward building your life that really matters. And that's what's worked for me. I mean, I love the terminology I have as I've uh, matured, hopefully, come to just allowing myself to have cycles and seasons. Uh, I yes. just went, I just went one that was through really interesting. I, I love running. I mean, I adore it. I live up here in the Rockies. I love trail running. It is soul food for me. And yet about four months ago, I found myself just not, it wasn't that I didn't, didn't want to run. I just, ah, it wasn't thrilling me. I gave it up for four months and I've never done that. And I, I did weightlifting, gained some muscle. And, uh, now we got a new sponsor. There's some really cool shoes they sent me and I took the impetus and I'm running again. I'm loving it, but allowing those seasons, uh, which is hard. So I like that intentionally out of balance. I'm going to use that. I'll send you royalties on that one. <laughs> uh, you said the term being present and you said that a couple of times and man, I I'm reading a book right now. Um, now, I'm not reading it. I am studying and embracing a book called Awareness uh, by Anthony mm -hmm. DeMello. Uh, it's rocking my world. It's an incredible book. Uh, and, and I got to give credit. I got tipped off on it by Tim Ferriss, uh, as a lot of people I think are in good resources. But I don't even know how I stumbled on it. Thank him. I don't know the guy. Never talked to him. I thank him for that book. It's about being aware uh, of ourselves, our minds, and you. I came to it because as I was looking at your stuff, reading you, you made a statement or I, I don't know if I read it or heard it in, in the video, stand guard at the door of your mind. 
I'm going to ask you for everyone listening. When you say that stand guard at the door of your mind, give us a synopsis as I know you're living that out every day, every moment, but that is being present. I have been continually over my lifetime blown away at my ability to hear something that resonates a hundred percent. I believe it. I'm on board. I am willing to commit to it. And the next day happens and I flat let it go. I, I forgot. And a week goes by and it comes back. How on earth did I let that go? I did not stay present. I did not keep that guard there at the door of my mind. And I just went off willy nilly. And I think, you know, personal development industry, we know that people consume stuff, go on to the next thing. And you're saying, no, stay guard at the, uh, at the door of your mind every moment, help us with how we can start doing that. Well, so I don't know if you play golf, but I play golf and inevitably when you play golf, somebody will say something before they hit a shot, something like, Oh, I just could never get there. It's too far. Yeah. The wind in my face. Oh, I'm screwed. Um, I hate hitting it over water. I can't read the green. So they tell themselves about their limitation. And they're embodying an identity that is going to likely lead them to a result that they don't want. So what I... Um, have noticed is that if you change the language, you change the conversation, then you can actually say, look, I'm having trouble reading the green, but every day I get better and better at putting. And right now I feel like I've got the magic touch. And you start to light yourself up and get excited and see the potential. I often tell people, if you had a kid as many people do, that are six or eight or 10 years old, do you tell that kid, oh my God, you just can't read the green. You're never going to make it. You're really bad at putting. Have a step up, loser, and go ahead and do it. Absolutely no. not. If you're a good parent, you would almost always be saying something like, you know what? That does look like a difficult putt. But if you focus and you give it your best try, I bet you you can make a really good effort and you'll learn from it if you don't make it there, right? Yeah. So... When I say stand guard at the door of your mind is talk to yourself like you would talk ideally as a parent to that six or eight or 10 year old child, use encouragement, use support, use positive language, because words create your world. So you might as well give yourself the edge. So that's what that means to me, Kevin. I love it. There are some other specifics and folks, I'm going to tease you. This is show 675. 677 is our habit show and we're going to record that thing right now and I'm going to save a couple things I really want to ask but I'm going to save it for that because they really have to do with that standing guard the door of your mind I mean that is a habit that we all need to employ so we're going to go to there man thank you for letting us dig in uh, to the story man I appreciate your authenticity and I feel like I've hit on a couple things I haven't brought up before and I've talked to a lot of people. So thank you for being a catalyst for those things to come up in my mind. And I hope that they have helped give some permission to folks that are going to be listening to this show. Rock, thank you so much. Well, you're, you're so easy to talk to. You're very present. You listen. You're a great audience. And it encourages me just to go deep with this. So, so thank you for being so passionate about personal development because I think there's a lot of people that gosh, there's still a few negative people out there. There are. And I mean, I don't know if there's another topic I care about more because it's where we 
it's where we start and stop. So again, thanks for bringing me to some new places, Rock. Pleasure. Friends, this was really a powerful message. I encourage you again to get Rock's book, The Power of Your Identity, free and take his free life assessment at rockthomas.com. Don't let this message slip by you. Coming up next in show 676, we have our Q&A show, which I titled How to Escape the Bondage of Survival. And I had a special co-host with me. So meditation was our muse, but folks, it's just a means to an end. It's not, uh, there's no secret or gift, holy grail about meditation in and of itself. But everyone seems to be doing it these days. Uh, Meditation is losing, I think, its spiritual baggage, which we really hit on in this show, and going mainstream as the new exercise of today's greatest leaders and influencers that we're all following. If you listen to our habits show much, you hear it over and over as a primary staple for our esteemed guests and their consistent strategies for success. So, uh, of course, I wanted to ask a question to the listening audience. And I asked, do any of you actually meditate and why, what do you get out of it? And then I actually couldn't help. I asked a follow-up question. If you do not meditate, why not? Well, we received more responses than I anticipated. I didn't expect that many people to have to be involved in meditating and to have tried it. And we get into some sticky areas like, can you meditate and be a Christian? I mean, can you meditate while driving a car, reading your Bible? And I enhance the conversation by bringing back Johnny Powlard himself to co-host with me. And folks, he was brilliant and candidly answering these hard questions. I came out of the discussion just more convicted, decided uh, that I've got to be doing this every single day, meditating. Uh, If you don't remember, Johnny's an international meditation expert and guru. And in show 671, we talked directly about meditation and freeing ourselves from ourselves. That was the point. Uh, Again, it's not about meditation. It's a means that's a vehicle. Uh, It was just a fascinating conversation. Again, all this was prompted a lot of it by Michael Hyatt sharing that he uses Johnny's top ranked meditation app, one giant mind every single day. And it prompted me, that's what prompted me to, to get a hold of Johnny, to have the interview, to have him here as a guest and to give meditation a try. And I am doing it. Uh, it's worth a listen to this show, folks. I think this is something that we are all sorely missing in our culture till then. Thank you for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.